Good morning, OneChurch.tv. How you guys doing today? Alrighty then. You are in for a treat today because today, man, we're getting into God's Word. Here's what I know about God's Word. That, uh, I love what Isaiah 55, 10, 11 says. It says, every time God's Word goes out, it always produces fruit and it never returns void. So if you get nothing out of the message today, that says more, more about your heart than it does about God's Word, all right? Because it has the power to change lives. Uh, this message has already changed my life. I've actually already been preaching it myself, living in it, and uh, I hope uh, you get to do that today. Also, I want to give you a heads up. If you're hanging out with us today, if you're in the video theater, maybe you're online, uh, I would encourage you to go to either our app, or you can actually go right outside the theater, and we have small group questions. We write small group questions for every sermon that we do. And uh, if you're not in a small group, you're welcome to grab these and just go in a little bit more in depth uh, this week as you read God's Word because, again, it has the power to change his lives. So uh, we're in this series called Sent, and it's really more of a mini-series of the book of Acts. And uh, we've been looking at all, all what Acts is all about. It's about the church and how God used the church to change the world 2,000 years ago, and that movement is still moving. It is still going on today. And we've seen up to this point, we're in Acts chapter 8 today, we're seeing from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 7 that the church began, and it's had a lot of ups, but last week we saw a really big down. Uh, We saw the very first person who was killed for their faith, and we said that's a martyr, somebody who was killed for their faith. And Stephen was murdered for his faith, yet God used... Uh, his, the death of this spirit-filled Jesus follower to jolt the church out of its comfort zone. And uh, we saw last week, and we're going to continue today, that Jesus followers see death differently than others do. If you're a Jesus follower, you can see death differently than others do. And though it's hard, people who follow hard after God can see God has a greater purpose in your death, and sometimes you don't even know what it is. And we looked last week, I told you the story of Jim Elliott, and Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and the three other missionaries who were killed in January 1956, and how God used them, even through their deaths, to win this entire Stone Age tribe, the Waodani people, and how God wooed them back to himself. And uh, thousands of people now have come to faith because of these five missionaries who were murdered for their faith back in January 56. Um, And we looked at, uh, that we saw that Christ followers, that Jesus followers, we see death differently than others do. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to get into God's word. Saul was one of the witnesses. Everybody say Saul. How many of y'all know somebody named Saul in your life? Let me hear you. Better call Saul, all right? And he agreed completely with the stoning of Stephen. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Saul later becomes Paul, and he becomes the biggest evangelist and church planner the world has ever seen. Did Stephen know that because of his death, that Saul would eventually become called Paul, and he would write two-thirds of the New Testament? No, he didn't. And did Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and Roger Udarian and Ed McCulley and Pete Fleming, did those five missionaries know that because of their death, thousands of people would come to know him? I, I don't think he, they did. But they trusted God, and they, they found out that God had a greater purpose in their death. Let me tell you, for a Jesus follower, you need to know that death is a conquered enemy. 
you want to take some notes, that's a great place to start. Death is a conquered enemy. You know, we're going to, uh, uh, my friend Carlo is going to be teaching a lot more how Saul becomes Paul next week. But Paul, he would later write this in 1 Corinthians 15. That death is swallowed up in what? Victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is a sting that results in death. How we thank God who gives us not only victory over sin, but victory over what? Death through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus' followers see death differently than others do. Paul also wrote this, Romans 8, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Can anything ever separate us from Jesus' love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble, calamity, or persecuted, or we're hungry, or we're cold, or we're in danger, or we're threatened with death? And most people, the answer to that question is, well, yeah, if I'm experiencing calamity, if I'm experiencing persecution, if I'm experiencing hard times, then where is God? I mean, that's the first question we ask, right? And God, if you're really good, then why are you allowing this to happen? And he asks a question, this. Does it mean God no longer loves us? And the answer is no. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And then Paul writes, and I am convinced that nothing, look to your neighbor and say nothing, nothing can ever ever separate us from his love. And then his first one is what? Death. Death can't, life can't, the angels can't, the demons can't, our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and not even the powers of hell itself can't keep God's love away. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. A Jesus follower sees death differently. You know, growing up, man, I was scared to death of death. I remember I, I grew up in I grew up in church and I grew up in one of those hellfire and damnation churches. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, that scared you to death. Not death, death. Right? I couldn't. I mean, I just was struggling here, and I'm just joking. I just I remember walking down front after a sermon because I didn't really know what it meant. I just didn't want to go to hell. Right? And I found out a little later in life, that just mumbling words and running from hell isn't enough to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of you, that's, that's where you're at today. You're, you're scared to death and you're worried about what's going to happen, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. In fact, this is what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who, what? Have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, he's going to bring back with him the believers who have died. So I tell you, I, I was so worried, and, and, and still, we kind of fear the things that we don't, we've not experienced yet, and I totally get that. But here's what I, I want you to understand today, that for Jesus' followers... When, when the doctor says, by the way, it's terminal, you're going to die through this, you need to know that the doctor's wrong. Because it's not like we pray to God and we begin a relationship with him and then we live our life and then we die and then we like cease to exist and then we go into eternity. That's not how it happens at all. You see, what happens is 
those who are far from God, they begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives inside of them. And from there, your eternal life starts then. And when you're on the table and the doctor calls it, okay, he's dead at 1.15, or she's gone, they are mistaken because you are more alive at that point than you ever have been. See, here's the reality. We believe that everybody spends eternity somewhere. That's what God's Word teaches. That's what I believe. The question is, where do you want to spend eternity? Do you want to spend eternity in heaven with God? Or the only other option is not purgatory. If you're Catholic, I'm so glad you're here. There's only two options. It's either heaven or hell. You either want to spend eternity with God, or if you don't want to have a relationship with God, then he's going to grant your request. And you're going to spend eternity without him. And that's not going to be a good place. You see, Jesus' followers see death differently than others do because... Death is a conquered enemy. So I, I love that. I love that. Let me give you a second one. It's simply this. Uh, for Jesus' followers, persecution is not always a bad thing. Persecution is not always a bad thing. God ultimately uses the death of Stephen, to uh, just a normal guy, a normal guy who waited tables to jolt the early church out of their comfort zone. In fact, this is our big idea last week. Sometimes God uses difficulties to jolt us out of our comfort zones to be used. The enemies of the early church decided to scatter and lose them, yet God decided to scatter and use them. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. A great wave of persecution began that day. On what day? When Stephen was killed sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all of the believers except the apostles, another word for disciples, they were scattered through the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. And then we see some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. You see, things are going so well with the early church, and now people are running for their lives. What happened? Did the early church do something wrong? Did somebody sin? Did somebody mess something up? And the answer is no. Absolutely not. Sometimes for the Christ follower, when we experience hard times, we ask this. Where is God in all of this? But here's what you need to know. God was in the middle of it all. In fact, to see it only as a tragic situation, really only mis- you really misunderstand how God works. Because God was behind it all. He was weaving the story. God is in the business of turning negatives into positives. Do you know that? He was good at that 2,000 years ago. Nothing's changed since then. Nothing's changed. He still does it. God can turn disasters into miracles. God can turn a crucifixion into a resurrection. He did it 2,000 years ago, and he can do it today. The key is to always look at our circumstances, our disasters, our events through the eyes and through the perspective of God. You see, what we just read in Acts chapter 8, 1 and 2 was a fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus said in Acts 1, 8. This is what Jesus said. Now, Acts 1, 8, we have, I've, every time I got up here and preached it, I mentioned this verse. You need to memorize this verse, all right? I need to not have this on the screen, and you should be able to say, well, let me tell you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? You should be able to name it. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive what? Power, that happened in Acts 2, and you will tell people about me where? That wasn't happening. You see, they were telling people about Jesus in Jerusalem, 
but going everywhere? No, nay, nay. Okay? So why was it not happening? Because the church got comfortable, right? They just decided, you know what, let's just keep it right here. But see, the good news isn't to be enjoyed by a group of people. It is, Jesus wants his love to go everywhere, to every bird, to every person. But it didn't happen because things were good. So, I mean, it's kind of like this. Some of you, if you're experiencing some resistance in your life, it's easy to say, God, that God is against me, or God is, and he's, that's not that at all. For those who lift weights, all right, now, some of you worked out this morning. I did too, right? My doctors, why are you laughing? It wasn't that, that wasn't even supposed to be funny. Y'all ain't even going to let me get to the punchline, right? My doctor said that I need more fruit in my diet, so I ate some Pop-Tarts this morning. So, um, but some of you got, you, 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 some of you ladies, some of you men, you lift weights. And when you do that, you, you lift weights and it's called resistance. It's resistance training. And when you have resistance, it tears muscles down and it builds it up, right? And that's what God wants to do with your faith. If you're experiencing some resistance right now, it's not, it may not be because God is against you. It may be because God wants to, to stretch your muscles, to draw you into the next season of what he has for you. So don't just throw up your hands and say, well, you know what, God is against me. No, no, God is for you. He was for the early church spreading the news. The third thing I see about a Jesus follower is simply this, that God is able to make friends out of your worst enemies. Y'all know that? Some of you, you got some enemies, right? That person at work, always sabotaging your career. That person in the army who's always talking bad about you, always getting down on you, always yelling in your face. Maybe somebody, your, your enemy may feel like maybe your ex-wife, your ex-husband, right? And they just don't, you don't feel like they have your best at heart. Some of you, it ain't your ex, it's your, it's your wife and your husband now, right? And you're like, I don't even know if these people like me. I think I, we're frenemies. Y'all know what a frenemy is, don't you? Oh, Jesus, all right? Look at what it says. Saul was going where? Everywhere. And what was Saul's mission statement in life? Here it is, to devastate the church. He woke up in the morning, rubbed the sleep out of his eyes. All right, I'm ready. God, my job today is to kill as many Christians as I can. All right? He had it written on his bathroom mirror. All right, my mission, to devastate the church. In fact, let me read to you. Uh, this version, this, this verse from another version called The Message, it says this. This is when Stephen was dying. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned Stephen out. Now in full stampede, the mob dragged him out of town and pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul to watch them. And as the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. And then he died. Saul was right there, congratulating the killers. Good job, y'all. From there, Saul just went wild, devastating the church, entering house after house after house, dragging men and women off to jail. I tell you, Saul is the biggest enemy of the church right here. He is. And Carlo's going to spend all next Sunday talking of how Saul becomes Paul in Acts chapter 9. 
But what we're going to see is that God captures Saul's heart and he becomes a Jesus follower. The biggest enemy of the church becomes the biggest friend of the church. Saul would eventually become Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. Saul, who's trying to destroy the church everywhere, becomes Paul, and he begins starting churches everywhere. Paul started over 20 different churches in places like Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Berea and Thessalonica and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea and Colossae. Paul traveled over 10,000 miles on foot, right? On foot. He was stoned just like Stephen, but he didn't die. He even survived a shipwreck. And by the way, that's where we're going in the book of Acts. If some of y'all like like Indiana Jones and those type of action movies, that's the book of Acts. It's action. It's going to be exciting. We're going to survive shipwrecks. We're going to survive stonings. We're going to survive all kinds of stuff. So it's going to be really, really fun. But let me ask you a question about Saul. I mean, Saul, he's still an enemy of the church right now. What would have happened if the church had exacted revenge on Saul? Think about that. Saul is killing people of the church. If they, what if they had just boycotted his methods? What if they had picketed Saul's employment? What if they had happened, what had happened if the early church just decided to stand up for my rights and become the religious right, and we're going to vote him out of power and get revenge on what he had done? Think about that. Saul would have never become Paul, and the church and our Bibles would look vastly different. Our Bibles would be much lighter and the church would be more anemic because the church, if the church had hated Saul instead of loving Saul into becoming Paul. The love of Jesus can turn your biggest enemy into your dearest friends. How about we as a church start loving and stop hating? I mean, I believe our world would look different. I mean, like those jacked up jokers, Westboro Baptist Church. Seriously. That's on one end of the spectrum, right? They show up and that with their picket signs, and and I just it's 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 awful. It's easy to go, yeah, we don't want to be them. But some of you, you come here on Sunday mornings and you're prejudiced, and you're angry at other people because of a, a different skin color or because they don't look like you or they didn't vote like you. I just want to say, stop it. The, ch- the, the church in Christianity seems today is so anti-homosexual. I tell you what I see with Jesus. The only pe- people Jesus is anti-anybody is anti-religious. Jesus loved everyone. And if the church chose to do that and chose to love people, we might see more people engage with him and engage the church and their lives just might be changed. And be- guess what? Ours might as well. I tell you, who is your enemy? One of the biggest distinctions of Christianity that I know is how you treat your enemies. Listen again how Saul, who becomes Paul, what he tells Jesus' followers in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God would bless them. That's the exact opposite of what you do, isn't it? Somebody cuts you off, I blankety blank, blank, blank. Right? And then... You throw up some fingers, right? And you get so angry, right? Because I've seen how some of y'all drive. You tell the truth, shame the devil, right? And don't you know Black Friday and all that, that stuff is coming, 
Y'all going to be in lines? Y'all going to be, by the way, y'all going to be in lines. I'm not. Nay, nay. I'm going to be at home at 4 o'clock on Friday morning. I'm going to be in a food coma. The tryptophan done took hold. You know what I'm saying? Just letting y'all know. And if y'all want to be out there screaming, yelling, cussing, y'all can go do it. Just don't, don't tell them you go to one church. Please don't. I got some other churches you can tell them you go to. Don't go to one. Just saying. All right? See, here's what I'm saying. We, you are called to bless them, to pray for them. Do you know what happens when you pray for your enemies? Your enemies become friends. And some of you, you got so many enemies, if you started praying for them, you might see God do something, a change in your heart. Because you might be the problem. Right? You might be the problem. I'm telling you through this, guys. I, I, I see this in two examples. In history, I see the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, he chose to love people, not, not respond hate to hate. And it literally transformed a generation in an era. You have the Bull Connors in Birmingham uh, unleashing the dogs on them, and the media saw that, and they're like, they were, I mean, the, the people who even had those prejudices, they, they became ashamed. And that's what our love should do. We should love them so well that they should become ashamed of what they do and change. And that's exactly what happened. And, uh, I, and I'm also thinking of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, before he was president, he was, uh, he was, uh, he, he was um, uh, as an election becoming a senator, he was going up against another guy by the name of Staten. And, and this guy, uh, uh, Staten, he just came at him and just, I mean, called Abraham Lincoln some awful names, called him like a baboon because he had long arms and big ears, and just hit a lot of below the belt. You thought two, 2016 election was bad? It was really bad back then, but Abraham Lincoln eventually becomes president, and he's trying to fill his cabinet. You know who he, he puts as a secretary of war? Somebody knows how to throw some punches, Stanton. Exactly right. And people says, do you know what he's called you? Yes, I do. And then Abraham Lincoln, he said this, when I love my enemies, I turn them into my friends. And you know who was by Abraham Lincoln's bedside the night that he died, it was his enemy who became a friend, Stanton. You see, that's what Christians are supposed to do. Never pay back evil for more evil, dear friends, Paul writes. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of who? God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. How many of y'all know God can pay back? You see, if you, here's what I know about this. When you take matters into your own hands, you take them out of God's hands. Somebody done jacked you up, all right, pray for them. And some of you, you just may want to pray, you know, God, give them some hemorrhoids. After that, once you get past that, pray that God would bless them. But God, God will get them back. You ain't got to do that. God's fighting on your side. Other day, I didn't say this first service. I got a little bit of time, I can do this. My two boys, Jed and Bean, come in, and there's this bully in the neighborhood that's wanting to always beat up Bing. And uh, I, I'm either a really good parent or a really bad parent. That's what you need to know. Because I went out in the neighborhood. And I will absolutely throw my weight around. You got this snotty-nosed fourth grader 
I'm going to show up. Like, See, some of y'all, like my friend Brian over here, he always laughs at my jokes. If me and Brian like show up to a fight, uh, Brian, you got this, dude. Like, Because you can take me out to eat. And you can just take me and I'm going to be blood on the floor. But I can go up against a fourth grader. <laughs> you need to know that. I got this. All right? So I just drove the car down there, and that joker went back inside because I am going to stand up for my kids because I'm a good parent. All right? Guess what? God's a good parent too. Somebody diss you, somebody's going to harm you, don't take matters in your own hands. Give it to God. God can do some whammies. All right? All right? All right, lastly, if you're a Jesus follower, your city should be glad that you there. Glad. Not angry, not... I mean, they should be glad that you're... If you're a Jesus follower, your city, your neighborhood, let's go even farther, your school, your fraternity, your sorority, your job, your platoon, they should be really glad that you are there. This is what it says in verse 4. But the believers who had fled Jerusalem went everywhere preaching the good news about Jesus. They went where? Everywhere. Philip, for example, hit the TV timeout. Philip was not one of the disciples. Philip was just a normal guy like Stephen. In fact, when you get introduced to Stephen, he started waiting tables. So did Philip. That's where they were introduced to Philip. And we learned last week that when you're faithful with small things, even like busting and waiting tables, guess what? God will give you bigger things. And that's what happened with Stephen, and that's what's happening with Philip here. Some of y'all, you want bigger things, but you can't be consistent with the small things, right? You pray and God give you a million dollars, but you ain't giving on the thousand you're making now. Guess what? He ain't going to give it to you. He's not going to give it to you. Time went along. That's exactly what happens with Philip. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. And let me tell you about Samaria. Samaria was really close to Jerusalem, but it's over the tracks, right? It's a different culture. It's a different group of people. The Jews hated the Samaritans, called them dogs. I mean, it was very cross-cultural. It was a different type of people living there. They viewed life differently. They worshiped differently. Verse 6, crowd listened so intently to what Philip had to say because of the miracles that he did. Many evil spirits were cast out as they left their victims screaming, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was what? Great, let me hear you say it, great joy in that city. Here's our big idea today. Your city should be glad you're there. Hello. Now, it's easy to say city, city, but let me just personalize it. Your job should be glad you're there. Your family, you being a Jesus follower, should be glad that you're there. Now, what were they glad about? Well, it says they had a message. And they had a ministry. And that's what all of us should do. You should have the message of Jesus Christ. We call it the gospel or the good news. And it just, it just means that God loves you. you got to say it, but then you got to do something. you got to put some shoe leather to it. Right? Some of you are good talkers, and you're not good doers. Some of you are good doers, but you're not good talkers. Guess what? You need both. We need a message, and we need a ministry. In fact, Jesus said it this way about, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So when you do something good, man, let God shine. 
And that's exactly what Philip did. Philip got involved with the messy Samaritans who didn't see things the way he saw them, who didn't vote the way he wanted, to vote, wanted them to vote. Um, uh, I mean, Philip got involved with these folks who didn't believe the way Philip believed, yet Philip was willing to get messy and involved to do things that point them towards Jesus. Philip did good with them. Now, as the New Testament church, we should let our good deeds shine. Now, let me get, as I close, let me just simply say this. They did it in three ways. The first one was, Christians didn't flee sickness, but they sought to bring healing. Let me give you just a quick history lesson. You see, cities that we live in today, that's a fairly new phenomenon. Back 2,000 years ago, there wasn't a lot of cities. But there was this huge shift from the rural to the city. And cities were small, but they were getting bigger and getting bigger and getting bitter, bigger. And there was this huge sociological change going on. The people came from the farm, and they started living in cities. But as the cities grew bigger, hello, epidemics grew stronger. Thousands of people would die at one time because of these epidemics. So what would happen is that the people who would be able to treat other people, like the doctors and the nurse, they all, we got to get out of town, guys. We got to leave. So they would leave the city centers, and they would go into the hills, the rural areas, and, and thousands of people would die. Everybody would leave except the Christians. Let me tell you what that happened. The Christians were around death because they weren't afraid of death. Because Jesus' followers, they know that death, they see death differently than others do. Some of them, this is what's so interesting, a lot of Christians died because they didn't leave, but guess what also? Because they chose to hang around, their immune systems got better. Hear what I'm saying? Do you know it's Christians that start, started the first hospitals, that it was Christians that started the nursing profession? You see, we should be, we believe that Jesus is a healer, and we shouldn't run away from death and sickness, we should run towards it. Because we know that this little life that we're in is just a small slice of eternal life. Right? Secondly, Christians forgave under persecution. They forgave under persecution. Christians weren't the only people persecuted, the only minority persecuted in that time, but what made them different is that they loved the people who were killing them. They didn't fight back or seek justice. They forgave, and over time, the very people who were killing them started to believe in Jesus Christ, and they loved them. And lastly, Christians bought, brought peace into multi-ethnic groups. There was so much racial diversity and hatred during that time. The Jews called the Samaritans dogs, I just mentioned. Yet Philip didn't think twice about going to Samaria. So there was great joy in that city. And as I close, I simply say, is there great joy in our city because that we're here? If onechurch.tv was to go away, would they miss the presence? Would they miss us? if we were to leave. Let me ask it a different way. I hope that OneChurch.tv, we continue to be for Clarksville and for our city and let people know that they are not alone, that we don't judge them, that we love them. But let me personalize it. If you were to leave your job, would you be missed? Or would people be glad that you're gone? I can't, I'm so glad that person's gone. Let me think about this. Let me, let me say, we... If Amanda, man, I guess if Amanda, Amanda was to disappear, I mean, would, uh, would people go, man, we miss Amanda because of the joy she brought to this job? 
We miss Kim's attitude and her commitment to excellence. Or, you know, if Bob left, we miss Bob and how he always seemed to brighten everyone's day. I miss Kevin because I know if people were going to talk behind my back, Kevin had my back. You know, I, I miss Eric. The army misses Eric. That even when he drops his papers, man, we don't want Eric to leave because Eric, he did things with excellence, he had a good attitude, and he didn't complain, grumble about it. Or if you just decided not to show up to work next week, would everybody go, thank God they're not here? Man, I'm so tired of Amanda's attitude. Her attitude stinks. Or I'm so tired of Kim. Every time she shows up to work, she never engages with anybody. She doesn't do a job. She's just on Facebook. Or, you know what? Mike's attitude is just, he's just lazy. Yeah, he's a Christian, but man, he's, a, he's absolutely, he's a pill. He's hard to swallow. I'm so glad Michelle, the Christian's gone because all she did was gossip. I hope and pray that for us as a church, if you really want to impact where you live, if you really want the city to be happy that you're here, then guys, we have to love. We have to do better. If onechurch.tv was to go away, would the city miss us? Would they miss the presence of one church? Because I believe this next year, we want to make OneChurch.tv an indispensable part of Clarksville and Oak Grove and Fort Campbell and Hopkinsville. For far too long, the church has been known by what we're against. And guys, that has to stop. People should look at us and know what we're for. They should be able to go, oh, OneChurch.tv, they're for Clarksville. They're for Oak Grove. They're for Dover. They're for Hoptown. There are four couples. There are four families. There are four singles. There are four homosexuals. There are four students. There are four children. We are for our city officials. We are for Sango. We are for Fort Campbell. We are for Oak Grove. We are for all of the great counties and cities around us. We are for Clarksville. The reason why we are for the people in our country, in our county, is because Jesus is for them. For God so loved the world. He is for them. So my challenge to you is simply this. This week, this Thanksgiving, this shorter week, I am challenging you to serve someone outside the church and let them know that God is for them. That's what I want you to do. Now, you can go serve at manna. That's great. When you go through the drive-thru, pay for yours. And pay for somebody's behind you. Let them know that you're for them. Give them a good deed. Let your good works so shine so that people will glorify our Heavenly Father. Let's just don't keep it in here, people. How many of y'all going to watch some football today? Alright? You watch football not because of the huddle. You watch football so that they can get out of the huddle. They can move the chains. They can be able to flow the football. They can be able to tackle. They can be able to run and do offense. Y'all see this? I'm jig-jacking, right? They want to see some jig-jagging Christians out there who's, yeah, they in the huddle, but you better get out. Because I'm telling you, people want to know, do you love Jesus and do you love them? We are for them. So let's serve them. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much, Lord, for your love, a love that will not let us go. And God, I pray that today 
Lord, that this week, yes, God, we would pray. Yes, God, we would read our Bibles. Yes, God, we would come to church. But Lord, we would do something once we got out of the huddle. We would be able to serve. We would be able to give. And Lord, that we would be able to love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.